Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. We have a fantastic guest today, Melissa Burton. She's an Academy Award winning producer for Best Documentary Short in 2019. She's also taught English at Oakwood Secondary School where it inspired her students to make this film, period, end of sentence to raise awareness about menstrual health. I think if I see in the background there, that Oscar right there, Melissa, welcome to the show. I can't figure out how to point it. Thank you. Yes, very exciting addition to my little uh, breakfast nook here. <laughs> That's awesome. So Melissa, as a visionary, what is the story that you'd like to bring to the world? I think the most succinct way of the story that I would like to bring to the world is what I said at the Academy Awards, which is that a period should end a sentence, not a girl's education. So the idea that um, girls uh, who begin to menstruate, um, sometimes as early as the age of 10 or nine even, um, should not be forced to leave school um, in countries around the world, including the US, by the way, due to um, lack of access to uh, menstrual products. So I didn't realize that was a problem. I mean, what, what's happening? Why, why, is this, why are girls being forced out of education? So if uh, girls in developing countries don't have access to uh, menstrual care, they, first of all, are uncomfortable. Second of all, they may leak. Many um, schools have uniforms. There may be leaking through the uniforms. There'd be embarrassment factor. And then there's just the, the need to manage it, um, which uh, traditionally has been managed by many means, um, ashes, rags, leaves that are unsanitary and leave um, women and girls uh, vulnerable to infection. It's just not the ideal situation. Um, so there are many different alternatives. Our machine, um, the machine that's featured in the film period end of sentence, um, makes pads um, out of a wood pulp, um, but there are also reusable pads that are made out of a kind of cotton. So different options. So if we could back up just a moment here, um, and by the way, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I'm glad that you bring awareness to this issue. Um, but for people that don't know for the historical context, um, how, how do we get to a place where, in, especially in other societies, not in the US, where this is the situation? What would you say are the systemic factors that make this the reality for, for young women? I think that, uh... Funnily enough, the women and girls make up half of the world um, because uh, we are in a largely patriarchal world. I think that there's so much stigma and shame around and so much confusion and lack of education around what menstruation actually is that the lack of um, knowledge and the lack of ability to talk about it um, really lends to the stigma being perpetuated over the years, um, leads to period care being sort of lowest on the uh, scale of what seems to be important to give funds to. People will uh, fund a lot of things, but period care seems like 
somehow it missed the boat. And I don't know how, since it's so crucial to all of us. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's actually super surprising given that, you know, it's been with us for all of human history. Right. I, do, are we taking it for granted? I mean, what, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I think there is a lot of taking it for granted. And, um, and cultures differ um, throughout the world so that, that a period could be a source of great celebration. Um, it can also be a source of danger. So the onset of menstruation means for some communities that uh, one's daughter is now available to marry, um, even though she might be very young because she can reproduce so she can have um, babies. This becomes especially um, perilous for young girls who, who will then, oh, she has her period, she's on the market, she doesn't need to be in school, she doesn't need to further her education. And so the cycle um, continues. And so it's just, um, there's a statistic on our website that I can't quote, but um, if just, um, if girls were educated to the same degree as boys worldwide, um, every country's GDP would increase by billions and billions of dollars. Probably um, leveling the playing field in girls' education is probably the single most um, powerful thing we could do to um, shore up the world's economy because you know we're, we're depriving half of the world's population of an education that could enable them to make more money contribute to the economy etc uh, that's an absolutely stunning statistic and uh, I don't doubt it, absolutely that that is the case. Um, I also feel you, you brought up a very good point about the patriarchal society that we're living under. But I also wonder how families and how parents can help their, their children. Um, I do remember hearing stories when I, was in, when I was in health class in high school. I've heard stories from my wife and friends about how they were uh, ostracized. You know, there's, there's stories about going to the pool and things like that. How can we begin to change the conversation that we have uh, from moms and dads at home? So that's one of the things that I feel proudest about with the release of period end of sentence because um, I have had people in the United States, fathers actually come to me and say, you know, and these are families who openly talk about all kinds of things, but they said, you know, I suddenly feel like I can talk to my 14 year old daughter or watch this film and, and discuss this. So I think that openness is the key and Forgive me because I'm forgetting how what I'm forgetting the leading question of this that you asked. Yeah. Oh no, no problem. I was just talking about how we can encourage more conversations between moms and dads and their children about this. The beginning at home. I think that things like the film, things like or, other organizations that just keep sort of putting it in our faces. You know, I mean, it's here. It's it's a very interesting shift. Um, in movies and TV shows, um, as bloody as we get, sorry to say that word, and you know, if you think of Scarface or you think of these films where there's virtual slaughter, yet, interestingly enough, menstruation will come up as like, that's almost more taboo. It's like the embarrassed boyfriend who has to tiptoe into the mini mart and say, oh yeah, I'm buying some of these, oh, that's so hilarious, or what, you know? And, 
And it's just so funny, our, our um, squeamishness about it seems so silly, really, when you think of all that we do watch. Um, so I, but interestingly, um, after the film, there were some um, journalists who were saying things like menstruation is having its moment. And I think that, that gradually things are coming to the fore and people are being more comfortable um, talking about it. I often share the story that in the weeks before um, the Academy Award, the Hollywood Reporter does a series where um, they uh, have anonymous members of the different branches of the Academy say what they think would win. And a, a venerated but anonymous um, longstanding male member of the Academy, a director, said, none of the directors are going to vote for a documentary about periods because really that is just too icky. So um, there's a lot of attitudes in the U.S. that definitely need changing in education. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad you proved them wrong. That nice <laughs> we were too. Yeah. Back <laughs> what, what made you decide to do the documentary? I mean, why, why did you want to tell the story? Um, you know, people often ask me why this became so important to me, and I think it probably has something to do with my position as a high school English teacher, um, where um, I have the privilege every day to see young women who are, who are growing so much intellectually, and it's almost at the same time that they're growing into womanhood. And so I think that it's at that transitional moment that education really needs to be nurtured and never ever stopped. So when I traveled with my students to the United Nations and I was the faculty sponsor for an organization that we partner with called Girls Learn International and we learned about this issue, we were just like, we're gonna do something. And that something was the film and starting a nonprofit. So it, it's been a long and crazy and an extremely rewarding um, journey. That's still happening, so. By the way, so oftentimes I, I'm married and I have to go to the store. My wife broke her foot a few months ago. And so I went to the store and I just make jokes about it and just say it's for me. And uh, the people respond well to it because just get the ickiness away. It kind of reminds me, there's old comedians jokes about selling condoms, like these things that are bodily functions that all of us have to deal with. Um, it's just, we're so squeamish about it. And yet at the same time, um, we're okay going back to Scarface. We're okay with violence, right. but we're not okay with this or even just showing uh, demonstrations of love. Um, but to go back to something else that you said, I thought was very interesting to this idea of bringing more women into the educational fold, more, more women into the workforce. And I, I would say more women into the, uh, the political sector and the leadership sector. I'm, I'm wondering from you, if we began to include more women in these, in these roles, these very important roles, what do you think this world would begin to look like if that change were to occur? Beautiful. I think that that would be a great thing, right? And one thing that, so there are terrific organizations um, that uh, came along with or be much before um, the PAD Project, which is the nonprofit organization that raised the money for the film. And what they do is they give much needed um, sanitary PAD kits to um, communities. It's interesting though, what we found is that most of the NGOs we talk to are desperate for the machine because 
that creates um, a microeconomy and jobs for, for women um, and a way to enter the workforce, which, yeah, it may not be, you know, they may want to be engineers and, and all kinds of things, um, but at least it's a step from not farming, not cleaning the house, not that farming is bad, but in these rural areas, that's often the only acceptable um, job for women is to go out in the day in the fields and make dinner and clean the home. Those are the, and take care of the, the babies and the younger sisters, so, or brothers. So this is a way where something is being made, a microeconomy is happening, and um, it's, it's, and so I think that the more women that are in the workforce, I mean, we're in this, um, you are both great men, but we're in this interesting time now with um, COVID-19. And um, there's been these studies where um, in women-led countries, the instances of the spread of the disease has been much less and handled much better. Hmm. So, and also we're in a time of police, um, brutality and a lot of discussion around that. And um, there's a lot of studies that show that if more women were on the police force, for instance, um, the ways of de-escalating violence are, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say better, but maybe um, the, the violence wouldn't be so um, immediate. Well, you're bringing up some interesting points on this because uh, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the, the was the police captain of Atlanta when they stepped down after that shooting at the Wendy's was actually a woman. I think her name was Erica Shields. Yes, and I noticed that too. And I yeah. was like, just like, I'm taking ownership of this, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's a really brave, bold move and a very leadership type of move. Yeah, and kind of curious why nobody else was doing that. Yeah. No, it's a really good point. I was really interested in that as well. I I also kind of curious because you were talking about COVID nineteen, which you've all suffered through and still are. And you know, I, I was reading articles I saw myself about, you know, women are getting hit the hardest by it, right? Because they're still trying to work, still trying to take care of the kids, you know, trying to take more, you know, the household chores, and at least men. Are observing this, but I think, like I can, you know, my, like myself included, we're taking enough action to try and help out. And I, you know, I was actually thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, why, why, why didn't I see this differently, and why not sooner? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the, I don't know if this relates, but we we're talking about exactly. Um, but we are talking about why are girls in school educated to a lesser degree? Um, why are girls educated to a lesser degree than boys around the world? And part of that is that feeling that the boy is more important to educate because he's the one that's going to be the man who's going to earn the money, who's going to have the career or the job, whereas um, we need the daughter to stay here, get water from the well, get do the housework because her job um, is not going to be as crucial. So kind of shifting the thinking that no, actually, it helps everyone, the men and women in the household when a woman can work. You had mentioned uh, that you're a high school teacher. And so you're interacting with with young boys, young girls. 
And I wonder, I have my own uh, recollections of being in high school and junior high and talking about these things, these type of issues. And then, you know, there were certain attitudes that were then and there are certain attitudes that are now. I wonder what has been the reaction from young boys around this issue? What, what do you observe when you bring up topics like this? So true confession, I am go to a very progressive, you might not be surprised, um, high school called Oakwood School and they've been wonderful and very receptive. And I and I have to say that with all the sort of front and center we were with the documentary and with students leading this and talking about it at school assemblies, we probably had to have that kind of progressive community for it to even fly, to, for it to go. But um, the funny thing is that um, my daughter who um, was at, in this project with me since the beginning, um, who's now 25, but when she was a um, senior in high school, she wanted to, we were on the brink, we were going to embark on this film, we were going to put a pad machine in, and she's like, okay, I want to tell everyone at our all-school assembly what the, what the pad project is doing and what we're doing, and I am ashamed to say I completely discouraged her I didn't want her to be the target of shame. If I had imagined doing that at my high school, that would have been no way. But um, like many teenagers, she completely ignored mom's advice. She went ahead and, and did it. And then one of the like surfer dudes in, in the school turned to his friend and said, did she just talk about her period in front of the whole school? No way, that's so cool. So, so I think that attitudes are shifting and I think that if people, are you know loud and proud to use the phrase um attitudes will shift but it's definitely it's definitely uh, uh something we're negotiating and uh you know yeah conversation's gonna start somewhere right <laughs> yeah gotta start somewhere i i guess I would have thought that like social media would have been a, a good way to open up some of these you know sensitive conversations because i feel like with social media people are so open and sharing and sometimes we forget some of these you know normal boundaries that that would be actually a good channel to tap into for you know like women's health and then the menstrual health is are you, are you finding that's the case definitely i i am really proud of um my students who are on our social, I'm, they laugh at me. I'm the dinosaur. I'm way behind. I don't know how to do all the posting, but on our social media, that really is, you're absolutely right where the conversation is. And they do a terrific job of um, keeping the discussion going. And there's so much um, happening around menstrual rights and menstrual hygiene and, and uh, what's going on from the tampon tax, abolishing the tampon tax, in many states to um, realizing that all menstruators, uh, it's um, LGBTQ um, month and uh, important to know also that not all menstruators are women, not all women menstruate. So a lot of, a lot of um, work is being done and a lot of thoughts are changing in the space and it's exciting to be sort of um, right in there with that. So. It, it's really nice. That's cool. I got to ask, because you mentioned tap on tax. I can't say I'm familiar with that. Me too. Actually, I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm worried I'm going to get the number wrong because happily it's changed. 
I think that 13 states so far have abolished what's known as the pink tax. That's the tampon tax. So tampons and period care products are taxed. Um, whereas like Viagra, um, other things are not taxed. So essential items in some places are not taxed, whereas period care is taxed. So there are many movements and it goes by state to abolish what's known as the pink tax because over the, if you have done that thing where you've bought some pads or tampons for your um, significant other or sister, whatever it is, you know they're expensive and the taxes add mm. up. And so over a year, if you're somebody who's food insecure or struggling to make ends meet, over a course of the year, and I should have the exact numbers, but I don't, but I think it's a thousand and something dollars over the course of the year, just in the tax alone for period care products. So the idea that um, in the United States, we re need to recognize that um, period care is a necessity. It's not really a luxury. It, it's a luxury tax that's placed on, on tampons. I, I, by the way, I know they're expensive. Uh, I've experienced that. I did not know yeah. that, that there was a tax on that. So that's something yeah. that astonishes me. Uh, yeah. Returning to the, the question that Neil had a moment ago, I think it's, it's if, if I were going to point to something as to why these attitudes are changing, I think especially in the last 20 years, the rise of social media, where uh, there are a lot of bad things about social media, I would say too. But the good thing I would say is that we become a more confessional society in a good way, where it's okay to be vulnerable. And I, I credit people like Brene Brown for, for making people heroic who are being brave and talking about this stuff. And I think that we're seeing that among young people too, who, yeah, they're on their phones a lot more, but they're okay to share stuff that I think was not okay a generation ago. Uh, not okay at all. So I wonder, again, because a big part of the show is, is about futurism in a positive way, I wonder what you think as these young boys, young girls grow up in the next 20, 30 years. I mean, what do you think, what kind of world are you anticipating we're going to have as they get more comfortable? R reminded by, a, a, by the way, of that, that guy, that surfer that thought it was cool because that was right. not my experience of people when I was in high school talking about stuff like this. So I wonder what your thoughts are there. Yeah, um, I do think that it's just, it's a cultural shift. And I do think we're going more and more in that direction. Um, I think that it's a matter of, again, talking about it, accepting it, not making it a shameful thing, um, as women. And if you're around women, you probably know there are so many code words for, uh, period, you know, and some of these are very negative too. And really, right, we all wouldn't be here were it not for, you know, half of our population able to menstruate and carry babies and all of that stuff. So, so I think it, it's really a shift that is gonna take place over time, like many shifts, you know, that we see social and cultural and, and civil rights shifts that, that people are finally going to um, come around to, I think. Media, we fast forward to 10 years in the future, so it's 2030. What would you like to see in terms of menstrual health? What do you think the world will be like? Um, great question. I would like to see uh, no person, I would like to see everybody have accessible period care and nobody so that no one is denied her full and equal citizenship because of an 
natural biological process so that women can participate fully and equally as citizens in their own community um, and not be taken out of that by because of the restoration. I very much want to see that too. And I think so to our, our listeners, if, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're doing, how can they do so? Um, www.thepadproject.org. I'm, you can reach me at Melissa Burton, Burton with an E, at thepadproject.org. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, follow us and uh, join the conversation. We love hearing from everybody. Well, that's fantastic. And we'll make sure for all our audience members, all that information is in the show notes and please do check it out. It's actually an amazing project. And Melissa, thank you for so much for being on the show. You're a fantastic guest. Thanks for having me. I love changing the story and all of your ideas. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the changing the story podcast series, Please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.